Hello, everyone. Welcome to Perilous Pauline podcast number five, where we are continuing our conversation about the 80s in Buffalo, the original music scene. And uh, we're going to be looking at things through a little bit different lens this time. I think you will enjoy it. I wanted to let you know that in a couple of days from now, as of when this was recorded, the Continental Reunion is happening at the Town Ballroom on 1124. On 12-4-21, the Perils and the Boers are playing at Revolution Gallery. They have a big night planned to celebrate, I hope I'm going to say this right, Campusnacht. <laughs> um, and if you don't know what that's all about, please go on their website and check that out. It's going to be a great night of fun and interesting art. In 2022, I am going to have kind of a big announcement about a really cool pop punk project I'm involved in. Uh, we are currently recording and looking forward to playing some live gigs, and we will be called Perilous. So having said that, uh, I just wanted to remind you that if you are enjoying this podcast and want it to continue, please consider sponsoring a show. You can message me through Facebook, either at the Pauline and the Perils page or Pauline Degati Trippity, and we will chat. So here we go. Listen away and enjoy. All right. What a show. What a great show. Tim Tension here. Wicked Tension has some new vinyl out. Ask for it at your favorite record store. Here's a little peek of De Castro from our new record. But sucking leeches. All right, Tim Tension here again. You can find everything Tension at www.wickedtension.com. See ya. Michael Cotis, Michael Cotis, paging Michael Cotis. How the heck are you? You're in Arizona. Yeah, I live in Tucson. It's, uh, it's great out here, beautiful day. Always. But anyway, so. I appreciate you doing these podcasts and, uh, you know, I, I've been kind of researching, listening to them. And I also watched the documentary by Elmer and I had a kind of a, like my own perspective that I, that I wanted to share. And I thought that was important to get it out there. It's kind of been alluded to a little bit by some of your other guests, but the, the main, the main idea was that, um, you know, the, 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 the scene as it was in the eighties, was was not just you know punk rock, and it wasn't even just music, and um, for for a lot of people it, it, it emerged from like the art scene. Right. That's why I want yeah. to interview you because you come from that that vibe. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think first of all I want to say that it's it's really great that you're doing this. You know, Mark Freeland always used to say referring to music like when they write the record books, I mean, the history books, when they write the history books, you know, like, and you'd picture like these Hasidic Jews, like sitting around and 
2050 with long beards talking about Susie and the Banshees. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so, but like you are literally writing the history books. So congratulations. Well, thank and, you. I, you know, it's important. It's very Yeah, important. it is important. And, and it's important because the, the 80s in Buffalo were really um, unique, I think, time. I mean, you could compare it to the 60s, you know, like the the revolution, everybody knows like the 60s were the special decade and, you know, politically and sexually and, you know, a lot of activism and a complete break with the past, you know. Yeah. And, and I think the 80s had that same kind of, you know, thing where, but but not everybody knew about it. You know, it was definitely not mainstream. Nowadays, everybody thinks like the 80s, you know, there's like 80s music everywhere and people think like the, all this stuff about the 80s, but that that was like the main. These are like the people from Woodstock that claimed to be there but weren't. Right. Exactly. What is the what is the like? What do people say about the eighties right now? Because that are like young people. I have no idea. Unless well, they, you know, a lot of people really are into eighties music. You know, yeah. and 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 they they have like this. You know, the Bangles and you know Love Madonna, them. Blondie, all those like kind of mainstream bands. Right. <laughs> But, um, you know, we were into, like, the obscure stuff. Like, you know, we'd go to Home of the Hits to the import section, you know, to find the latest, like, obscure stuff. And, and you know, it was definitely an underground counterculture movement in Buffalo. Right. And right. it was pretty small, right? But it, it right. wasn't limited to music either. It wasn't, it wasn't punk scene. It wasn't just new wave. You know, it wasn't just art. It was all those things. And the thing about it was that was most special is the group of people that were involved, right? Exactly. Like everybody yep. knew everybody. Yep. And and it was like, you know, you, you can make friends so easily because, you know, every, everybody had a lot in common. And, um, and it was just a kind of a really easy way to have, you know, a great social experience, which, you know, I don't think exists. Or it's very, it would be very rare, I'd say, that, that it would happen, you know, anywhere again or, you know, it's just unless one of those you, unless, you go, like, unless you go to some like recent old school gigs, like the Continental Reunion. Right. Like, but those are, they're the just reliving the past. You know, this I was like the actual. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not living in the past. I'm 2021, but I can look back without staring. So and dance, too. So anyways, please continue. So you okay. are looking at things through the lens of like an artist or an art community, which I would have to say, like Paper Faces, The Vores. Who else? Talk to me. Who else? Yeah. So I, I want to highlight a few different events that that were really significant in my life. That yeah. you know, kind of um, really were like seminal experiences of of the '80s scene. And the yeah. first one is is this exhibit I went to where The Vores played. At, I think it was Sepa Gallery or uh -huh. you know Media Study Group at UB. And um, you know, I, I think I was there by myself, and I was looking at these photos from Dave David Kulik, who was yep. the singer from The Vores. He had a he had a photo exhibit, and they were all these black and white scenes of like outdoor shots, very minimalist and and like kind of eerie in a way. And but but very you know, you look at one, and then the next one, and you go, wow, like these have this weird thing in common, you know, yeah. and, and it just. And I just thought the photos were great. And then I go out there and like, here's the same guy. He's like leading this, singing at this, for this band, playing guitar. And, and the Vores were pretty intense, you know. 
yeah. you know, th- their music was really fast and, and, uh, you know, they would sing about, you know, love canal and stuff. Right. And, yep. and I think, I think the secrets were there too, like before oh, yeah. them, yeah. Uh-huh. you know, so you had these like r- really cool, intense bands that, um, you know, and, and like this, this whole thing that you just, you know, I, I was kind of pulled to it. Right. Okay, right. so that was the first thing that really I remember distinctly. The second one was seeing the George at Essex uh, Street Hall Walls. Yeah. I think that's the first time they played. But anyway, Essex Street was such a great place. And for anybody that hasn't been there, it was this weird, like, building on Essex Street downtown where you would just kind of walk in off the sidewalk. They had, like, these chain link fences that they would open up wide. And then you were just like walking off the sidewalk and you'd be in like the, the place. So right. it was like, it was like it existed, you know, a lot on the street and it, and it was very dark and there, it had all these rooms and you, you, you know, you'd think you'd see somebody selling drugs off to the side or something. Right. You know, it was kind of a, you know, that kind of a vibe, like very dark. Anyway, um, once I saw John Lurie play their saxophone, you know, just oh. wandered into this small room. There's like 20 people. John Lurie's playing saxophone solo, you know, and it was it was amazing. And, you know, those kind of things where only a few people were there, you know, it was it was surprising that, you know, that, that you know, that such cool stuff happened in front of so few people is when magazine played at After Dark. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was so weird to drive like there, 50 though. miles into the cornfields to see magazine Howard DeVoto, you know, <laughs> right. It was very creepy. There were, there were like literally like 30 people there. And I think the band was late and everybody's kind of hanging out. And then they came out and it was just you know, super mind blowing experience to see right. these guys like DeVoto crawls up on this microphone. He's, he's standing on the microphone. Right. And he's like, bent over sneering at the crowd singing about these you know very creepy sordid things you know on the permafrost and we love so, that yeah oh yeah that, but that was another really great great uh experience and i just made some notes about like when pegasus played at cornell theater at ub mm-hmm. um when when paper faces were at baird point at ub that was another really cool one yeah. and then all the miss buffalo cruises especially like the paper faces when, when they played on Miss Buffalo, you know, it was such a great, you know, mixture of people, everybody's having a good time and you got this great music. Anyway, those Miss Buffalo cruises were, were really special too. All right. The other thing I wanted to talk about was, so I, I was like involved with the Femmes or I, I was like their number one fan. I really liked uh, that. Uh, band. Uh, 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 okay. Then I was 1.5. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so anyway, um, you know, Weeder and I went to high school together, and I've known him for a long time. You and, did. And I was with the, I was with him when he he did the Factor audition, like he in like <laughs> Craig Davidson's apartment yeah. basement, and yeah. it was so great. You know, like he blew everybody's minds, and well, Weeder was great, and you know the band was intense, and you know they were really good. And then you know he started with you know Walters and the Femmes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people really liked them. And, and I, like, took it on myself to, like, become the spokesman for the band because, at, you know, when they first started out, the, the concerts, uh, the gigs were very sketchy, edgy. 
and violent. Yeah, you know, people were people were getting in fights every time. Like, and 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 it was. I don't know. You know how, so, I mean, did you ever get hurt? I never got hurt, which is completely amazing. I never. No, got I hurt. never. I never got into a, a fight at a fems gig, but you know, you always were like thinking that you know it. It's about to happen. You know, like it was. Right. Like kept everybody like. He kept yeah. everybody like in a state of like uneasiness. You know, he yeah. had that. You know, he he had that energy where, you know, he would be doing the Cossack dance at the front of the stage, like it literally like ready to kick your ass, you know. And yeah. then there were a lot of people like heckling the band, and and so anyway, at the beginning there was all this violence and people beating each other up. And I, and I felt that somebody needed to like address this. And I, so I wrote this, the feminist manifesto Yeah. and uh, supposedly like uh, speaking for the band, although nobody asked me to do it, but then they were all okay with the fact that, you know, we handed out this, you know, feminist man, manifesto, which talks Is about. Is that like available you know, anywhere, Michael, for anybody to purchase or anything? Yeah. In fact, you can get it in uh, uh, the, the book underground Buffalo rock posters. Okay. It's available on Amazon, Underground Buffalo. It's uh, Robbie Tadcock, Don Keller, Carl Cotis. And the the Feminist Manifesto was in there. The manifesto is like obviously tongue-in-cheek type thing, but it but it points out something serious about the band, which is, you know, they were really at the cusp of like, you know, society and, and everything. And and so they were really significant, and you know, it says that they're they're the most important band in Buffalo. But anyway, so then, like about a year later, you know, after the success of the first manifesto, I decided to write another one. But this one was like more comical, and it it was um, it had a, a a drawing that I made of a broken Jack in the Box on the front, you yeah. know. Like, like the broken Jack in the Box seemed to be like the perfect uh, metaphor for the Femmes, you know. Like this broken Jack in the Box, you right. could, you, you know, you could still see that it's, you know, kind of funny. You know what it's supposed to do? It's like pop out of this box, but the spring is broken, you know. And and so it's kind of like ironic and it's like dysfunction, but still funny. It reminds me of the Land of the Misfit Toys. Do you know what yeah, I mean? There you go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so anyway, it's like this, it's, it's very, it's a very humorous uh, <laughs> article. And it just points out like that the Fens were really funny. Actually, the 80s in New York, in New York were really incredible. Well, too. Because, that. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me because that's yeah. right. I didn't realize yeah. you'd gone to Arizona. So, but anyway, well, so talk to me about you know, New York. One of the uh, things about Buffalo is that, you know, it, New York, it definitely has like an influence on it. And remember like when, People Express had those nineteen dollar tickets to New York. Yeah, and people you could go to New York for nineteen bucks for Buffalo. <laughs> you know, it was so great. Uh-huh. And um, you know, I, I always felt like pulled to New York. Like, and when I was eighteen, I hitchhiked from Buffalo to New York City wow. via Boston. And yeah, uh, it, it was a great experience. I went up to World Trade Center and, and by I, yourself. And, I was with a friend, Mark Szymanski. We hitched after high school together over there. And, you know, when we got to Albany, these guys that picked us up said, we're going to Boston if you want to come with us. And we we're like, well, okay, yeah, we'll go to Boston. And we went to Boston and there was like a hurricane in Boston. And then we and then we hitchhiked down and I had my great aunt, my mom. When I asked my mother, can I hitchhike to New York? She goes, okay, but you got to visit your great aunt, Anne. <laughs> 
Cool. Wow. Cool, man. That was the end of it. <laughs> cool. But anyway, so when, you know, Freeland and I were living in on uh, Park Avenue South at 23rd, which is like two blocks from Danceteria. We used to go there like five days a week. It was like it was ridiculous. We'd stay there till two in the morning, you know, VIP, you know, room every day at Cotton, I mean, Danceteria. And then you also had like Area in Peppermint Lounge, Limelight, right, right. you know, those other clubs. And Freeland was in our daughter's wedding and so I would always go to the gigs for our daughter's wedding, but then that band kind of fizzled out. He moved in with me. And so we were having like a, a Oscar and Felix kind of the odd couple, <laughs> you know, guess. where he was actually Felix. <laughs> he was Felix. He, he was, was Felix. Felix. He would clean the house. Yeah. He'd make dinner. Every Monday he would go to Chinatown and, and like, I'd come home from work. He'd open up the fridge, like super proud. He'd be like showing me conch. You know, like fresh <laughs> shrimp and fish that he got. He'd go to Chinatown. He'd get the seafood that was, you know, right off the boat wow. for like super cheap too. Like all week we'd eat for like 10, 20 bucks. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So let's talk again soon. I really appreciate this time. It's been really fun. Okay. Thanks a lot, Pauline. Take money in my pocket. My Hey friends, this is Charles Root from Electric Owl Works. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about The Longings of Paul Rosefig. It's Paul's latest release and a double album he's put together with a group of many great artists he's collaborated with. Paul, who you'll no doubt remember as Yad Cruzy from bands like the Splat Cats, the Jack Lords, and the Dark Marbles, has put together a collection of original and cover songs that I think you might like. Appearing on the album with Paul is an amazing roster of artists, including Bobby LaBelle, Buck Quigley, Bug Redding, Shoeless Eric, and many, many more. The Longings of Paul Rosefig is available for digital download and streaming on CD Baby, Apple Music, Bandcamp, and Amazon.com. It's also available for streaming on Spotify and YouTube. Check out The Longings of Paul Rosevig. That's R-O-A-L-S-V-I-G. Thanks so much, and now back to Pauline and the show. On the other end of this microphone is the fabulously fantastic Debbie Allen. Are you there? Pauline! <laughs> wonderful, beautiful Pauline. I'm right here, my dear. How are oh, you? You know what? I'm so happy to have another female voice on this yeah. podcast because I've been like desperately searching because we need to have female voices on my podcast for sure and to be reminiscing about Buffalo. It's just that... For whatever reason, people weren't available. You know, back in the day, there weren't a lot of us, but the ones that yeah. were, it just hasn't happened. So you, you are my first, <laughs> and I'm so happy to talk oh, to I'm you. I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> so Debbie, um, you know, you didn't play at all, right, Debbie? You were just kind yeah. of a okay. So Debbie um, is like a famous musical fan of time in Buffalo in the eighties of like original bands. And she, yes. you know, frequented the continental and we're going to talk a bit about that. And then about your experiences, you know, with all of the bands and as a fan and then pretty much anything else you want to talk about. So be thinking about it. Okay. Okay. All right. 
So you did a really cool sort of um, Continental Memories memoir, so to speak, um, and and emailed it to me the other day. And it's so cool because you kind of knew Bud Burke, owner of the Continental, initially. Yes. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it was uh, from neighbors of mine uh, that I met when I moved from the west side over to, I don't really even know what that area is called but it's just off of downtown. Like Allentown, I think. Sort of Allentown into downtown. It was the Chippewa district, but then at the bottom of it, there's this neighborhood with beautiful brick homes. They were being renovated. Um, And I had moved into a beautiful apartment there and two guys lived around the corner. And I I can't remember their names, but let's just say it was Mark and Mark and it was straight Mark and gay Mark. And they lived in another beautiful, fabulous place. And one of them was bartending at the Continental during the days prior to the new wave music coming in. And Bud had been trying any sort of musical thing, theme that he could think of that might draw people into that cavernous two-story old <laughs> banquet hall yeah. in uh, the red light district of Buffalo. I had heard from the guys that he had done a black night a black disco i think he'd even tried black country western he'd tried all kind of r&b different stuff and the this one guy that was working there the the neighbor had been adamant about saying bud you've got to get these live musicians in buffalo's got great music you got to try this new wave stuff and bud just was you know like anybody what in the hell is that generation (laughs) gap he's an old truck driver right right (laughs) his brother you know we're your typical little skinny white guy truck drivers for years and somehow ended up they wanted he wanted to be a club owner and have a club open that his friends could come and party in well the guys were right bud tried it the the guys were insistent that i needed to come and get in bud's ear with them and i'm like i am not coming over there if it's country music playing And he said, no, Debbie, I promise you, please come this weekend. He's having a champagne fountain outside. You know, of course, what was the outside? That horrendous <laughs> patio. But you felt like you were in the back of a prison yard, yeah. which, you know, became one of my favorite places once the club had the right music in it. Right. But yeah, I went to it uh, one afternoon, like three in the afternoon, drank a bunch of champagne. Bud was out there proud that he got his champagne fountain working mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, got on the rampage with the uh, bartender that was working there, that neighbor friend of mine, and said, absolutely, we've got so many great bands, you know, and I would have been, you know, telling them who we should have had in there. And that was it. But uh, always listen to whatever I said. Yeah, it's because he did dub you the queen of the continental. I mean, you do know this, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I realize it now when I know, I used to just pick up the phone from the Trough when I worked at the Trophomador and say, uh, yeah, just let Bud know Debbie's coming with 16 people, you know, and I just show up at the door with those big linebacker size uh, doormen and yeah. Scotty O'Connor, lean and uh, looking yeah. like Mr. Kung Fu David Carradine, <laughs> yeah. more handsome. Still does. <laughs> and they'd just be there counting 16, letting us all in. And it was great. So cool. So let's just talk about a couple of the sort of, I don't know, just, I'm going to say iconic in my mind figures. So one would be actually Mary that worked in the kitchen when the Continental had a kitchen, the sweetest woman. I don't even know, like she was so to me out of place, but so needed there. 
And uh, she used to, oh, she made like, you know, like deep fried stuff. So she'd always make me like deep fried mushrooms because she realized I hadn't eaten and just drank, you know, for pretty much three days straight. <laughs> oh, so gosh. she would do that. So Mary, you know, let's just remember her and uh, Mary. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then Alan Percy. Oh, gosh. Yeah. English Alan. Didn't we call yeah. him English Alan in those days? Probably. Yeah. 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 Alan, I I was racking my brain because we did just lose Alan uh, recently to a, he suffered from a long in, illness. He was back yes. in England in the last years of his life, right. but he had become part of my, you know, almost my gang of girls. You know, it's so funny. I usually, even to this day, have like a gang of girls I'll go out with, but there's usually one guy who's our buddy and comes everywhere too. And Alan for me was that buddy guy who was always ready, waiting at my house uh, for us girls to get ready to go to the Continental or wherever. <laughs> but, uh, he, of course, he was a musician in his own right and had uh, performed at CBGB's yep. in New York with Alien Nation before he'd arrived in Buffalo. But he was a very uh, iconic figure because, of course, as I always said, he made that English accent work. And I swear that, <laughs> that man must have had a stronger English accent than the day he left England. Because whenever I would look for Alan at the end of the night in the club – Sometimes I'd really be struggling. Where the hell is he? <laughs> is he like off in a corner with a girl? How come I can't find the man? You know, I knew every corner of the continental. And I soon realized it was a really easy formula. I just needed to find the largest gaggle of little girls. You know, it could have been some of the Canadian girls come across the border. Or, you know, any little local young girls that had wandered in there. They would be in a circle around him just hanging on his every word and laughing and I would just kind of wave over them and go you coming you going we're going <laughs> and so once I figured that out it was easy to find out so funny so <laughs> funny audience great guy yeah and so you were really good dancers I remember like I could count on you when the perils were playing to be there and just with good vibes dancing so I want to thank you personally for that Oh, that is so sweet. And, I want to uh, thank you for all that great energy you gave us off the stage. I, I always looked forward when I heard you were playing anywhere uh, to go to your shows because of everything you brought to the stage. You didn't just bring great music, great energy. You brought glamour, vibrant. <laughs> um, glamour. Lipstick, beautiful big Lipstick. Glass. Thank you so much. In honor of lipstick. Thank you. I'm you. Definitely. And, you know, for me as a single girl back then, we were young in our 20s. Uh, I always knew if it was a Polly and the Perils show, the best looking guys in town would be there. <laughs> and generally, I would just run up to the stage, check you guys all out on stage, and then turn around and check the audience and go, oh, look at there this. There they are. <laughs> you always had the best looking men come out, uh, from cool. college students to all sorts. Yeah, it was uh, funny because we had like this factor of like, I don't know, attorneys that worked on it. So we had like the college students, then we had like the, you know, just punks that needed to come and then, you know, dancing people. And then we had the downtown people that would get out of work and somehow stay downtown until we started playing. That was always very interesting to me. They were hypnotized by you. They were under your spell. Of course they would stay. But but it was very fun. And talk to me about a couple things. I want to know about some of the other bands. I know you mentioned... Um, in your little memoir here, uh, like the elements with Dodie Hall. And exactly. I, I, Dodie, would you freaking 
contact me back. I just want to say I've been trying to reach her for the longest time. Amazing bass player, just really, really amazing bass player. And um, so we had the elements and then you talked about David Kane, Kent Weber, Freeland. So anything you want to share about those gigs or times would be great. You know, I just want to say that that time in Buffalo, the level of creativity that you guys were bringing to those stages, being, you know, even a non-stage in Mr. Goodbar with Kent Weber and David Carradine just plugged up for the night. They were just bringing it with so much innovation. Hey, thanks. <laughs> come, come down and warm up. You know, the, I would only, love to. the only reason that's keeping me from the reunion is the weather. I yeah. can come when it's warm, but yeah. I'm really a tropical hothouse flower now and don't <laughs> and won't ever have a winter wardrobe again in my life. So, well, Come maybe music is art, time. honey. Music is art happens like in usually the beginning of September. Yes. So it's not too bad. So maybe next year you can do that. I've marked it on my calendar. All right. Well, I'm so planning. wonderful to talk to you. And let's talk again soon. This has been great. I look forward to it, Pauline. All yeah. the best. And I'll be thinking of you and looking for hopefully a live stream from the reunion. Or, yeah. Sounds great, Deb. <laughs> All right. Bye, hon. Bye. Hey, Rue, how are you? Holly, what's going on? Should I say happy early Thanksgiving? Uh, because we don't celebrate yeah. Thanksgiving in Ireland, so. Oh, so you're in Ireland right now. I'm in Dublin, the capital of Ireland. Yes. Wow. What is happening there? Oh, my God. Well, well, we're, we're going through the same madness as America, but <laughs> let's pretend it's pre-COVID. And, uh, and well, it's uh, well, it's my usual. You know, I, I just go to, go to see gigs, you know, and, um, you know, try to find the next U2. <laughs> <laughs> although there are more interesting bands than you two. Although I've discovered living here that liking you two is not a good thing. Cause I, you know, I remember my first band, I got together here in Dublin and I played a, I launched into a U2 song and all three guys just walked out, you know, because oh. that, that, <laughs> I, I thought they all loved you two. I thought it was, you know, and you know, yeah. maybe, maybe the song was too obscure, but they, but there, I, I discovered begrudgery. There's this thing over a cultural thing. It's very, oh. it's not, it's not like America where, you're allowed to dream and be ambitious, and here they try to pull you down constantly. Ooh, that's terrible. Yeah, so I, I think these bands were, you know, they were jealous of you two's success, you know. And um, right. I said, well, that's well, that's your trip. That's not my trip, you know. I, exactly. I like you two, so that's yeah. that's uh, well, the early early you two that is. <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't know if you knew this, but I opened up for them like right when I got back from England. Okay. Yes, yeah. we had chats back in the day. You were living in Manchester, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah, first yeah. semester. Yeah, and then I, I joined a band in Scotland, stayed a little right. bit. That's right. Right. Yes. Yeah. I but remember it's all coming back to me now. It's all. Look at that. My memory is so. I'm only 22. My memory is still intact. <laughs> <I'm> 22. <laughs> well, then I knew you what before you were born. So, anyways, <laughs> so let's um let's actually go back a little bit if we can. Okay. How can you tell me your connection to Buffalo music in the 80s? Right. Well, I I moved to Buffalo in '84. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have been too. <laughs> I went to college, Canisius College, um, and uh, you know, when you're 17, 18, or whatever it was at that time, you know, and I had just picked up guitar, and like you know, maybe two years previous to that. So I, 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 I the Buffalo music scene of the '80s basically formed me into what I am today. Ah. I mean, I owe Buffalo. I mean, I owe Buffalo everything, and I, and I. Make sure everybody knows about it. I mean, there's some people that over here in Ireland that, that say, oh, you're from Buffalo. I had to remind them, well, no, I'm actually from New York, but I live in Buffalo. But 
You know, it's, 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 it's a weird kind of, because they get excited. Oh, New York, you must know CBGBs and the whole bleakers, you know. Yeah. The whole Alphabet City. And I said, well, actually, I, I don't know. I could tell you more about, you know, <laughs> about the <laughs> Essex Street Pub than right, right. <laughs> meat cheese and uh, the pink, you know, uh, right. more than CBGBs. Although I do know CBGBs, but, you know, that's that's the extent of my New York knowledge. Because then by then, you know, I was already off to Buffalo, um, you know, and then I was just thrown into your into your amazing music scene. And actually, you were you were the first band I saw in Buffalo at Canisius. There was yourself and Actor, a band called Actor. They oh they, my gosh, yeah, you were my first band. band. Oh. So ruined my life, and I was sold with the devil forever. Thank God, yay! <laughs> brew, brew, brew. Yeah, the <laughs> promise, the promise. That's the band. Yes, the oh, promise. Prom- you were one of the people that actually saw the promise. Cool. I saw the promise, and then I um I joined WCCG. I don't know if you remember that station in in Canisius College. Yeah, we had uh we had the Lumens, the Splat Cats, Goofy right. Dolls, Tension Moment. We had basically the whole Continental coming through our studio, you know, being interviewed and hanging out with us, you know, and um. And then uh, I, I think uh, the drummer, who, what was his name, the Splat Cats, he lived on Bradford Place. Craig? Uh, it has, I believe that's yeah, he, You know Bradford Place off West Delavan? Yeah. Yeah, well, and I named my first Buffalo band after the road, after Bradford Place called Argyle Park. Right. That's yeah, that was my band name, yeah. And, and we were rehearsing in Lexington in your place, you know. Yep. Um, and uh, and those are the best days of my life. And, and oh. I still want to thank you for all those times I was late for my payments and you always let me go. <laughs> Well, you know, we know how it is, right? If I still owe you, just like send me the invoice. Huh? We, must, we must be there for each other. That's all. Exactly. Well, you were always there for me. Definitely. Right. And uh, I mean, the, the whole Buffalo has always been there. Because I, I think after uh, freshman year, I just decided to not go back to New York anymore. I just spent my summers, you know, pretty much on the Buffalo music scene. I'm going to hell. Oh, no, I live in Dublin. Oh, no, I'm ready. No, you're not. You can't. Um, so what else can we talk? So, all right. Well, well my guitar, I still play the same guitar. Do you remember Kubera music? I don't know if you went shopping. Of course there. I do. Art Kubera. Yes. And I joined his Facebook page recently. Uh, they're, they're still, you know, holding the torch for his shop there. And I still play the same Telecaster I bought in 85. Nice. And it still looks brand new. It still smells like vanilla. And everyone keeps eyeing it up wherever I go. In the world. If I'm playing London or like, Oh wow, that's a real American Fender. Yeah, I think I got the last of the American Fenders because it's it's an '83 model, and it's uh, I bought it in '85, and then after oh, I guess '86, Fender stopped making. They became Japanese or Mexican, whatever. So I, I had the last of the American Tellys. And that picture, you know, in all my pictures, I, I still play. I have a piece of Buffalo with me all the time. That guitar you is, you know, <laughs> and my chorus pedal. Yes, that's also from Buffalo. So I, I want the chorus pedal. I'm playing a 30 year old chorus pedal and an. 30-year-old guitar, and, and it's still... Oh, great. Yeah, I'm still sure perfect, it is. You know? I'll probably end up retiring in Buffalo, maybe when my European life is over. Well, come on over. I mean, with yeah. we're, we're here. <laughs> yes, thank God. Um, yeah, so anything else you want to tell me, Brew? Any other things? Uh, some more musical stories? Yeah, I guess what I def- what impressed me about Buffalo was the, the, um, the eclectic, you know, the eclecticness of the scene, you know, you had bands yeah. with McCarthyism, yet you also had Talus, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and they could intermingle so easily. And, and all the bands, I, I didn't sense any kind of animosity between the bands, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think everybody was just kind of, everybody was supporting their scene, and you hung out on the Elmwood Strip, oh, home of the hits, definitely lived in there. Yeah, yeah, Definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, it was, I bring back that shop 
plays somehow. I mean, I, you know, I, I have to tell you, I should do a whole episode on Home of the Hits. I oh, think. okay. I want, I want, I want to hear that episode. I would, de- I would definitely tune in. Those, those that, the, uh, what was your man's name again? Um, but yeah, but uh, but yeah. Hey. Thank you, thank you, Buffalo, for forming me because uh, I don't know what would have happened if I, you know, if I didn't go well, there. Come back and show us what what has formed. Okay. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well, yeah. That's well. Actually, I had a documentary called Brood in Dublin. And the producers want to do a special segment on the Buffalo years. What? Because, yeah, because, that's yeah, awesome. Well, we'll have to co- come over and, you know, take a video. Yes, you, and, you know, but I'll have to bribe everybody. Okay, everybody say nice things. I'm like, okay, we want, they, they just want dirt on me. That's what they really want. <laughs> uh, well, it's so nice to have talked to you. And can we do this again sometime? There's a lot At more. Anytime you like. For you, anytime. Oh, I don't okay. care. I'll step, I'll step later if I have to. I'll, I'll have my like, what time is it? So right now, what time is it well, here? Well, our clocks changed, so it's it's actually half eight, eight thirty or eight thirty-eight. Okay, yeah, it's three thirty here, so it's not bad. Yeah, so you, yeah, we're five hours. You're five hours behind me, so um. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, listen. Cool. Let's uh, let's chat again. And thanks so much. You too. Uh, thanks for having me. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. It's Mark Weinstein calling from California. No way. Yeah. How's it going, Pauline? Like, wait, the Mark Weinstein from MX80 and from Kenmore and from Irv Weinstein's son? Yep, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Pauline. It's nice to talk to you. Uh, yeah. It's cool that you're doing this podcast. Yeah, well, we're really having a lot of fun. And I wanted to talk to you, Mark, because you were around like – even before the 80s in the music scene in Buffalo. And I know you have some Mark Freeland stories. I know that you have some 80s in Buffalo and out of Buffalo stories, but you're kind of like, I don't know, in my mind, you're kind of like a famous person because (laughs) you're, you were here, then you went and joined like a really popular band. And now you have Amoeba Records, which is really, you know, doing really, really well. So just talk to me. Talk to me and say, you know, tell me, yeah. You know, I I will say uh, for one thing that, uh, yeah, I mean, the music scene in Buffalo back in in those days, like, you know, 78, 79, 80 was fantastic and exciting. Uh, And the band I was in in 1980, which was with uh, Patrick Lavulo and uh, Ken Kearney uh, called the Savage Pelicans. You know, we had never (laughs) even done a gig in Buffalo when we decided you know, we're, we're going to go to either New York or California and uh, we kind of get a little bit of uh, recon reconnaissance and decided let's go to California first and see what it's like before we all end up in New York City. I mean, that was kind of the mindset at the time. It was like uh, uh, a tough time in Buffalo for an, an artist weirdo who, uh, you know, really wanted to do something. Uh, Buffalo, you know, at that time was kind of uh, more far more down in the dumps than it is today. It's like yeah, yeah, right. So much. Uh, and in those days, uh, I mean, there was a lot of entertainment related to how grim Buffalo was in that we would spend a lot of time, you know, driving around Lackawanna looking for, you know, smokestacks and houses that, uh, you know, really rows of, you know, decrepit houses with the TV. <laughs> decrepit, the- yep. The TV lights were all kind of synchronized, and we would sit in a car, like smoking a joint, looking at all these houses in Lackawanna where all the, the TV lights were going simultaneously uh, because they were all watching the same station, whatever it was. And in the background, like a big smokestack or whatever, 
And that was kind of the entertainment uh, in the late 70s uh, for us because uh, it didn't feel like um, otherwise. I mean, obviously, we were going to see all the bands. I mean, I was pretty Kenmore-centric, and uh, certain (laughs) bands I remember so much better than others uh, because just, you know, of course, the George and the Indians, and those are all uh, my people, A-Tones, was our band during that time that actually gigged. and that was with Tony Bellani. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Hi, Tony. Yep. Yep. My sister, Rachel, uh, Craig Davison, and okay. uh, Ken Kearney on guitar, who was uh, the guitar player I had been playing with in this earlier in the 70s, kind of doing kind of more, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of prog metal type stuff or whatever. In the after high school, I played with Ken for some time and then. Uh, we all kind of collided with those times and all these great bands and McVans and the Masthead and all that stuff was happening. And- The men were a really great band. We did a couple gigs with them. And there was like a lot of really minimal and cool uh, rock going on that was really inspired by kind of No Wave uh, in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of influence of uh, stuff like Lydia Lunch and all that kind of stuff happening. And I was really into the contortions and all those more funk bands. And uh, I also had a punk band when I was in college at that time called The Objects. And... Uh, so there was a little bit of bleed for me because I was doing more of a punk band thing already after having done more like prog music in the mid seventies, uh, in college in 78, you know, of course we all discovered the Ramones and Devo and I love Parubu and all these kind of weird bands. And, uh, so, uh, we had this great band, the objects in college. And then when I came back to Buffalo, I was really raring to go to have a band. And so, I had already been working at record theater for four years uh, on and off at that time. Uh, so I got a record store job immediately. Um, and you've been in it ever since. Yeah, it's all I've ever done since high school. It's crazy. <laughs> it really is. Uh, well, and it's proved to be pretty great, pretty successful. Well, it has. I, I mean, it certainly had peaked out in the early 2000s uh, when we had three stores and our, our highest volume in terms of sales and our busiest times. Uh, and we're talking Amoeba Records, people. Yeah, Amoeba Music is the official name. And okay. uh, it's, uh, but also known as Amoeba Records, absolutely. We rented a place and we started buying product and uh, we were open within a year. And so we opened a, a small store. It was 3,500 square feet with eight employees. And uh, within five years, um, we had, uh, uh, almost a hundred employees and we had expanded twice, uh, and we were opening a store in San Francisco, uh, a few years later. And then LA was our biggest store and our biggest accomplishment because, uh, that store, uh, is 40, was 43,000 square feet and had almost wow. 300 staff. I mean, 300 record geeks, weirdos from LA, oh. so much fun. And, uh, I could have worked there. <laughs> 
everyone, I wish everyone I knew could have worked there because it was that kind of place. Of course, we had a whole bunch of people from Buffalo that I met in both San Francisco and LA that worked at Amoeba, all, you know, refugees from Buffalo or Western New York that came and found me because they heard the owners from Buffalo. That's Irv Weinstein's kid that owns that store. Yeah, everybody's going like a magnet over there, I bet. Yeah, but it really worked out well. There were so many great, great people. And uh, it was just an extension, though, of really everything that was going on in Buffalo in the late 70s. I was really pretty much launched out of Buffalo by that cool and amazing scene that was going on there, you know, with all of those bands and uh, all of that activity and all those amazing people. Uh, But uh, I... I, um, Besides playing with Freeland and playing in uh, the A-Tones, I so remember so many great gigs, especially, I love the Indians. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. He sticks out in my mind as being such a great. Judy. And, yeah, Judy and Jack. And Tim. Uh, Tim Blake. Yeah. Is Jack still around? I don't even know. Whatever happened. Yes, but I haven't seen him in a million years. Tim is on Facebook, so I kind of connect with him that way sometimes. And Judy Frisland, Judy is now Judy Frisland, is a really close friend of mine. Oh, she wow. has, yeah, she's gone on to like, she opened a school, kind of like a Waldorf type school, and she writes books. And, and where she's, she she's uh, and her husband is a great architect here oh. um, that's that's built up Buffalo in many ways. She lives in Buffalo, in the oh, city. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I look forward to seeing her again. Uh, yeah, you're coming back. So when are you coming back? Well, we're moving next year back to Buffalo. Uh, there's a whole long story there, but suffice to say, uh, We've been sort of uh, thinking about where to go. Well, you know, California is great when you're young, but uh, mm-hmm. and now it's so overpriced, and there's there's certainly the danger of all these fires and the econo- I, I consider us to be like economic refugees and climate <laughs> refugees and a bit, you know, work refugees too. I'm really trying to extract myself from my many responsibilities uh, related to the my work. Uh, and like, just find a period of lo- to- time before I get too old to just be an artist. Because one thing yeah. I've been doing all along in my life is drawing and painting. Uh, my wife is also an artist. We both have kind of BFA in fine arts, and cool. you know, our college aspirations were to be artists. And uh, you know, we've both gotten distracted by life in a lot of ways, but we've both been making art all along. And uh, so the idea here, because we have a lot of friends in Buffalo, for me, it feels so logical to come back around full circle after my 41 years and 42 years in California and uh, revisit my beloved home. I always yes. well, our arms are open waiting for you guys, you and your family. Well, thank you. I, I, it's yeah. exciting. I'm trying to talk my daughter into joining us. I don't know if she'll come at when we come or maybe join us later. But yeah, she might I, visit. She might visit and then really, and we'll treat her so well, she'll, she'll fall in love with it. She already loves <laughs> Buffalo, so I think there's a good chance of that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, so listen, it's I can't believe you've been talking for 20 minutes already. Um, wow. Anything else you would like to say at all about anything? I mean, this is like well, uh, no, chance to anything. Yeah. I miss the days that were, you know, we were trying to focus a little more on the music scene back then. And I will say there were so many great venues. I just, you know, between McVans and uh, the Masthead and then Schuper House and, mm-hmm. all the, and uh, wall, Hall Walls and all these great places, th- those places really create the community that formed around those places back then 
you know, just never stopped growing. And it was just filled with so many great people. Uh, and, you know, extensions of it came my way all along. Even in California, I had so many people come my way from uh, those days. And mm-hmm. it's been a really a connecting factor for me in life was all the musicians and amazing weird artists in Buffalo that I messed around with back then. And uh, who uh, one great thing about Facebook, as much as it has its faults, has been uh, my ability to stay in touch with a lot of Exactly. Rock. That's what it's good for, right? Yeah. I mean, there I am on uh, on Facebook with Mary Kay Sandor. Or whatever. <laughs> like, I just I absolutely love it. And uh, hey, so- hey, listen, I, I did want to ask you one more thing about MX80 because, oh, yeah. I mean, t- just talk to me for a minute about them because they got pretty famous. Yeah. You guys well, got pretty they're, famous. They're yeah. on my favorite record label, which is called Ralph Records. And uh, mm-hmm. When I was the later parts, when I was in Buffalo, I spent a lot of time hanging out with Russ Schoenwetter at his house. And mm-hmm. Russ was a, already a, a fanatic fan of MX-80. So that's how I discovered MX-80. Uh, and it was one of my favorite bands, too, because it kind of uh, it, it drew, uh, drew, it connected kind of, you know, a little bit of like jazzy elements with kind of punk rock. And it's yeah. so it had like really cool, dark quality and I absolutely loved it. And when I moved to California, uh, I went and saw them a couple of times. And then thankfully in 1983, um, I was offered a chance to jam with those guys and it happened to coincide with their main two drummers. Uh, they had two drummers, which was always something that I loved as well. Um, mm. One of their drummers left and so I was afforded the opportunity to play with them starting in 83, 84. Mm-hmm. And I literally played with them for 20, uh, 25 plus years. Wow. So did you in, go anywhere? Did you wind up touring? Um, we mostly played on the West Coast, but uh, we played like uh, Steve Albini once invited us to come to Chicago and play a couple shows because Steve Albini loved MX-80. And uh, mm-hmm. we got to tour around in Steve Albini's van uh, and uh, – he took us to his favorite restaurants. We went and did some radio interviews. We played a couple of really big shows. Uh, that, cool. but our, our biggest shows were all in California. And, uh, you know, we played a lot of the bigger venues. And it was like one of the few chances of my life to play, you know, bigger shows. Uh, mostly I played small rock clubs my whole life. And uh, MX-80 was that much more popular than. Cool. Uh, well, that's, it's, you know, I'm so glad that uh, you had that experience. And I want to hear more about that. Can we talk again? Sure. Anytime. Give me a call. Yeah, yeah I definitely will. And now that we know how to connect with each other, we'll definitely do it again. Okay, Mark? Sounds great. Thank you, Paul. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Is this Tim from Wicked Tension? This is. Well, how the heck are you? Doing well. Doing well. How are you? you? Well, I haven't seen you since Music is Art, September 11th. That was a great time. It was really good that all our bands kind of played one after another, and we got to stay there and watch everybody. Um, That was a wonderful time. Yeah, it was. It was so nice to see everybody, and hopefully someday we'll actually be inside the building. But but I was glad that the weather held out for a bit, even though it seriously smelled like Cheerios, and then the factory sound was interesting in the background. Yes. It kind of went, with the, went with the territory, I guess I would say. Yes, the mechanical noise. It, it helped our performance. Um, yeah. 
I saw that and I, I was there to witness. Yes. <laughs> um, so Tim, talk to me about the 80s in Buffalo and music and what you remember or whatever you want to talk about. Well, I had been one who was um, initially born in Canada, so I spent a lot of time in Toronto. <clears throat> and uh, so a lot of my early 80s was split between Toronto and Buffalo. Like Forgotten uh, Rebels? We're um, good friends with them. They they oh. stayed at, uh, when we had a flat there in, uh, uh, near the 2-4 store on Elmwood, they would stay over. But wow. yes. That, yeah, maybe when they played at the Continental, actually. Yes, a few of those times. Um, uh, we can get into stories about my roommate Penny uh, and me, us hiding the phone so she wouldn't run up long distance phone calls <laughs> calling um, the Forgotten Rebels in Canada. Yeah. So, it must have um, been hard not to call them. But yes, they were there. Uh, teenage Head, um, Vile Tones, um, a lot of the bands up there in the Toronto Way. Uh, they had the last pogo there in the end of the 70s. Um, and I would split my time between Toronto and Buffalo. And uh -huh. sometimes it was we were able to do it in one night because Buffalo was open to four. Right. So we, we could, um, if we timed it right, we could get uh, a show in Toronto and then get on the highway and get back to Buffalo before last call. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and how many times have you played in Buffalo until four o'clock in the morning? <laughs> too many times. Um, too many to mention, yep. <laughs> yes, I, I think we started understanding that if we were the headlining band, maybe we should play the first two sets and not yep. the last one. So um, I still feel that way. I still feel like I love playing the first set because then I can just enjoy everybody else that's playing and I don't have to watch my voice and whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Give me a specific memory that you might have. Well, I remember um, getting some decent shows at uh, Buff State. Um, now, uh, there was the one time that we played with um, uh, Husker Du. And, oh, uh, lucky you, you stinker. Yeah, well, it was a great show. It was inside uh, in that ballroom or whatever they have there. And they were the greatest guys. Um, of course, they got craft services and they got all kinds of stuff, but we were the opening band. Right. So oh, wow. when we were done, we were able to um, go into their dressing room and drink all their beer and eat all their food while they played. Uh -huh. um, and when they came off, they found no food or beverage and um, they, <laughs> they had to have some delivered. <laughs> uh, That's funny. Did they get mad at you? No, no, they were totally understanding. Um, they had wished that, that that it did not happen. They were completely on our side for the whole thing. Oh, cool. Uh, so they... Do you know that song? Um, okay, so I don't even know if I know the name of it, but it's uh, something about, have you ever, I know the lyric is like, have you ever been less than lonely? Do you know what song I'm talking about? Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever mm, been I... less than lonely? No, but the beauty of a podcast is someone will know that and they'll type it in the little comment section and you'll, you'll, it'll pop up. So yeah, well, you'll, it, needs you'll know to, soon. it needs to pop up because it's a great song. But anyway, so you played at Buff State with Husker Du, which is like, they're, they were completely amazing and they were nice people. Absolutely. Another great show from there was the, um, 
uh, when we played inside the quad with the Minutemen. Um, and uh, I think Powder French was also there and the Beaumonts. The Beaumonts. Um, yeah, yeah. But George, Who was in the Beaumonts? Who was in the Beaumonts? George Oliver and uh, some kid named Resnick. Mm. Um, That's see. right. Johnny was in their band. Yes. Yeah. They were quite, quite a good band. And I'm sorry I don't remember the other guys. Um, but uh, they'll let us know. Uh, anyway, the Minutemen needed to do um, laundry. So many of us just lived down the street in the Elmwood Village, and the, uh, they showed up with their tour stuff, and um, we threw a keg on the front of um, some somebody's uh, house, and uh, we had a little street party while they did their laundry at the nearby laundromat, and uh, so that was quite a quite a fun evening. Also, um, the proximity to Buff State and all those shows was was really good. Now, what years are we talking about? Um, this would be probably mid-80s. Yeah. Um, 85, 86 or so. Okay. Uh, maybe 84. Because, um, uh, let's see, 85, we went and did the tour of Europe. So we had a big hole in the schedule. We, we left and we spent a while over there playing in Italy, Germany, Holland, Belgium. Ah, what? Did you love that? It, yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of pushed me into architecture when things started slowing down. Um, yeah. I was looking for something else of interest, and I think I found it. I think people think touring is glamorous, but you have so much spare time. Yeah. Um, you play for an hour or two, and the rest of the time you your hotel rooms or something. But being there, uh, I was – I could just get outside and walk around. I'm in Firenze. I'm I'm in Bergamo, Milano, you know, nice. um, so Hamburg, cool. Germany. So it it was it was great to be lost there. You know, recent trips we've had when we played out the West Coast, it wasn't the same as being in Long Beach, you know, something like that. Um, much more fun between shows uh, when we were out touring there. But of course, when we came back, that's when the drinking age changed. And that was, I think, ah, one of the well, biggest, interesting. the biggest changes was a lot of young people couldn't come to the shows anymore. All of a sudden you had to be 21 to get into the bars and nice. they, hadn't, oh, yeah. they hadn't quite figured out how to split up the bars properly. And, hey, uh, Tim. Tim, hold on one second. I'm sorry. I'm not seeing my microphone work very well, and I'm not sure why. So, I mean, your waves are really good, and mine are just, like, sort of good. So I'm, I can I just, hear you, though. You can hear me, so that should make sense then when we, as we're recording, right? Um, yeah, unless you're just on, you know, one of those Zoom meeting type things. where. No, I'm, not, I'm on a blue Yeti microphone. And uh -huh. Zencaster is the mode that we use. So I'm going to just say that I'm, yours just is like a, a wider, like a bigger um, wave. Do you know what I'm talking about? I ride the bigger waves, that's all. <laughs> that is true about you. I've heard that. All right. So maybe I'll just turn up just a tad. Okay. So then we'll cut back in and we can, uh, let's see, where were we? <clears throat> We're mentioning the drinking age change. Oh, yeah. Um, because that really made a lot of um, things happen. If you wanted to stay playing in the bars, 
where the bigger money was, you lost a lot of the younger crowd. Um, and you had to make different things up. Some uh, house parties were were big. Some more of the schools started um, booking acts. I guess some all always already did, but it, it was a it was a major change, um, uh, and which was noticeable about bands like ours that kind of attracted more of the younger crowd, um, and so the. That's sometimes forgotten about, but we had to make yeah, adjustments. Yeah. We we had to make adjustments. We did played some things like at the Plumbers Hall. We opened up for Suicidal Tendencies. Oh my um, gosh! Okay, yeah. and that was a great great show. Um, I was reminded of it today because uh, Classic Core handles some of our distribution of our discs, and they put that poster up. And uh, I think we pushed Suicidal to do a good show because. We were just pretty darn good when we were playing, if I must say so myself. Yes, but, well, I will say so myself. So now there's two of us at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and again, more than that. But um, so cool. So you kind of, you know, I just have to say this because I didn't actually realize that you were Canadian, but you're so polite and you're so nice, and it makes to- makes total sense now. Now that I know that you're Torontonian. <laughs> <laughs> And but and I have to ask you this, and it has nothing to do with you. And I'm sorry, but do you know who's do you know Sloan? Yeah, they're I'm probably not one of yours, but they're my one of my hugely favorite bands. I love them so much. They're so talented. My my brother Christopher lived in Halifax when Sloan was just breaking out, and he was um, a, a large proponent of him of them, and he was a. Um, a budding writer at the time. So he'd write a lot of articles um, uh, about Sloan. So I think he still may be um, friends with, with Sloan. Um, oh my gosh. Well, later, I'll tell you, I'm a huge yes. fan, but anyway. And then there was times like when the bare naked ladies were partying at my sister's house and, you know, yeah. they were, we would run into them and, and before brother, they had a million dollars before <laughs> yes this is when they were just crazy scarborough kids right? that were running around um uh you know being goofy yeah um, and then you know jim cuddy from blue rodeo yep um so chris again was renting out the basement apartment at his house so there's lots of little connections that we have Love um, they were down here playing in santa fe a few years back, you know, to 300 people in a intimate setting, and uh, um, you know, up up north, that'd be in a an arena. So it was really quite cool to uh, um, see them in, in a smaller venue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave them some Canadian wine I had, and they they thanked me and got on the tour bus and went off. They loved you forever for that. <laughs> I think it helped them out. <laughs> um. All right, so. Before I ask you about how we can hear Wicked Tension stuff now, do you have any more stories you could think of, maybe something funny or really bizarre or anything that's sort of, what, I can't believe that happened or I lived through that or any of any of that? Well, I can tell you that next year is our 40th anniversary. Holy flying crap. Well, congratulations. So we've, we, um, we've been around uh, for a bit doing this and uh, – always seemingly to reintroduce ourselves wherever we go. And I have a whole list of bands that we have been the bridesmaid for um, over time. 
And uh, I like that the bridesmaid. We yep. did it, you know, Ramones and uh, oh. Discharge, GBH, uh, you know, just pretty much anybody who came through New York at in the eighties. We were there with, um, and uh, now we're coming out and playing with other bands around the the area, uh, and uh, wherever we're going, we're we're on a ticket, and it's 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 wonderful because we're continuing to meet um, exciting artistic people. Yeah, the and that's that's like the best part. I mean, playing is 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 you know obviously the you know the icing on the cake, but but being a fan, you know, and hearing new stuff is just and all that connection. Sorry about the dogs barking, but all that connection is uh, is is super cool. The beauty of the Bohemian time that we had through the 80s in Buffalo was wonderful because artists and musicians all hung out together. You could be one night watching a reggae band, the next night watching a punk band. You'd be watching whatever was brought to to fore by some people who wanted to just get out there and do it. Yeah, and, and um, we loved it all, though, right? We exactly, well. you yeah. know, and, and every everything was in pretty was encouraged and uh, supported and it really wasn't um, hateful at all. There didn't seem to be a lot of people who were uh, jealousy or any of that. Competitive, really. It was just supportive. Exactly. Yeah. So let's bring some of that back. What do you say, Tim? Oh, I think, I think that'd be wonderful. I think if people got out more and saw more live shows, that would be really good. Um, Well, it's, 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 we're, Confident that's opening up again. I mean, we've got the Continental Reunion coming up. You know, I there's like Revolution Galleries. You should go. You should go there, Revolution Gallery. They're really cool on Hurdle. They would fit right into your graphics too, I think. But anyway, um, or yeah, you would fit there. But uh, so listen, I'm gonna have to go in a minute, but I do want to make sure people know that a you have music that's coming out, new music. True. Um, well, our, our the CD is is um, is on Bandcamp as, as well as a lot of our old recordings. Our first vinyl was in '85, and we're trying to get the new vinyl out now. Um, we just had a little problems with the mastering of it for for vinyl. It mixed well for digital. Um, so if you go to Bandcamp and look up Wicked Tension, we're there. Okay. We had CD Baby distribution. We have uh, Classic Core distribution for the discs um, and we're on that distribution with them. And hopefully soon, um, uh, gosh, I'm gonna always say it wrong. Red Helmet Lady, oh, help me, Mark. Um, (laughs) They're gonna be putting the vinyl out for us and um, we are just trying to get it mixed down. Cool, I need some more vinyl. Please look into all of this for us. I think it'd be good because the range that we're going in now, uh, there is some pure punk classics, but there's there's also Last Night in Hamburg, which is a more of an instrumental vocal only. It's like Bowie and Berlin era style Ooh. stuff. So uh-huh. um, you'll you'll be mildly surprised, and because we thought, hey, there's a show stuff, and then there's stuff you want to listen to while driving or um, sitting at home uh, listening. And, and the other thing, Tim, about you, I just have to say, is you're a really good writer. 
Oh, thank you. Yes, I have two books out now. Um, They're on the evil Amazon. Um, Remnants of a Partial Mind. uh, And um, that was edited actually by Elmer Lotz and uh, artwork by Chris Mayne. Elmer. Yep. And um, artwork by who? Chris Mayne. Oh, cool. He does a lot of great murals around the city. He does. And then we had, um, let's see, uh, how did we get here? Well, you can put the emphasis on how or here was this follow-up, what was kind of sped along by the COVID because there was a lot more time yeah, uh, and not a lot of gigs and such. So, um, and that one was edited by Melinda Hewton and um, uh, Ivan Gonzalez did the forward and Prego did the art artwork. Um, and then the artwork for our album cover last was done by John and I can't remember his name offhand. Um, very talented artist done by hand. Uh, so the, the album artwork on um, Blood Sucking Leeches is, is beautiful. Yeah. So we're, we're trying to utilize, again, all the artists in our community and uh, um, storytellers and musicians. Cool. Well, I'm so glad to talk to you. And, oh, I would just say this, that um, so I'm kind of branching out and I'm not just playing with the perils anymore. And um, I'm going to be um, singing for a new project called Perilous. And uh, it's more it's it's more like punk, pop punk kind of stuff. So maybe we can play together. Maybe it would make sense to play together. At some that point. would be awesome. That would be that would be I'm great. Gonna go to, I'll go to New Mexico anytime, by the way. So <laughs> you're welcome right. here. We have yeah. to get out. And I like. I think we should all do videos up at Meow Wolf in Santa Fe. Yeah, yeah I love we Santa Fe. To, it's very cool. Meow Wolf is this crazy art group that has now got a, a space in. Um, Denver and one in Las Vegas, as well as the original one in Santa Fe. So look them up. Um, crazy, crazy art space. Um, cool. Well, was, I will do that. And uh, let's talk again soon, okay? I'm always up for it. Very cool, Tim. Thanks so much, Tim, from Wicked Tension. This episode is sponsored by Electric Owlworks slash EOW. EOW is the home of Electric Owlworks Recording Studio, Rachel's Owl Music Publishing Company, and the EOW Indie Label. Take your audio recording, mixing, and mastering to the next level. Create and discover with Electric Owlworks. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the episode five of Perilous Pauline Podcast. We loved to have you. I hope you enjoyed it. I wanted to thank profusely Chuck Root from Electric Owlworks and Elmer Plotz, Western New York historian and documentarian, Uh, for helping me with editing and patience and uploading and downloading and all of that good stuff. Also, please remember that if you would like this podcast to continue, please consider sponsoring an episode. You could contact me through Facebook, through the Pauline and the Perils page, or Pauline Degati Trippity. All right, take care. And remember, when in doubt, dance it out.